Hello and welcome to Birth Trauma Training for Birth Workers, the podcast with me, Dr. Erin Bell, clinical psychologist and coach. If you're new, welcome. You're going to learn so much. This podcast is really my little passion project, I suppose. My hobby, my excuse to talk to other grown-ups about exciting things other than how long has the baby slept and why is my toddler doing X and not Y. So (laughs) today, I think I want to talk to you a little bit about a question that I've been getting over and over and over. Today, as I'm recording this, is post-traumatic stress disorder awareness day. So we talk about trauma and we talk about birth trauma and then there's PTSD. They're kind of the same thing, but slightly different. So what I thought I might do today is talk you through this idea of big T trauma and little T trauma. It's something that I talk about in the birth trauma training online course, which is making its way off to be edited as we speak. But let's talk about this difference. It's really, really, really complex and I never want to make it seem like this is something really, really simple to do because, again, when you're talking postpartum period, particularly if you're talking about new parents, they already don't sleep. Sleep deprivation has symptoms, if you like, that go with it that look exactly like a mental health crisis. You see me on a day where I've had two hours sleep, the baby's been up all night, I haven't had proper food, I'm teary, I'm exhausted, I'm flying off the handle. Now, if someone was to record that footage and look at it, or you went and plonked me in like a GP surgery or a mental health setting, without any sort of contact, someone would look at me and go, oh, she's crying, she's looking a bit scruffy, she's frazzled, she's fallen asleep. Yeah, she looks like she's got a mental health problem. But of course get me a few decent hours of sleep, next day I could be completely different. So this is something we have to be super, super, super conscious of. You know, trauma is this thing that is, as I always say, a normal reaction, a normal nervous system reaction to an abnormal event. It's a nervous system event that is stored in your brain and in your body. And we don't really 100% understand why, but we know it's not a personal failing. It's not because of something that you did or didn't do. It's not because you weren't in a particularly good mood that day and had you only been a bit more positive about your birth, blah, 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 blah. So we have to take everything in context. Who is this person in front of you? Not just, oh, let me, you know, list off a bunch of stuff in my head that I know about perinatal and postnatal symptoms and then tick off a list and send you on your way. It takes time and we don't have a whole lot of time, really. A GP's got 15 minutes in Australia, unless you book a long appointment, but then how would you know to book a long appointment? Like, you know, there's so many nuances of what we're trying to understand and work with. So it is complex, but however we can sift through it, I suppose is what I want to say. So let's talk about, I guess we know that one in three women, that's what the stats say, women. So I don't really know about women, um, or people who identify as women or people who don't identify as women who are also birthing don't have that research for you. So I'm just going for that word, women. We know that they have traumatic births. They don't necessarily have what's counted as diagnosable PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. So 
really, I suppose one thing to consider is that you've got like a four to six weeks grace period. For any diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder, whether that is from birth, whether you've been in a motor vehicle accident, you've gone off to war, something else has happened to you, you can't technically diagnose post-traumatic stress disorder until it's been four weeks after the event. Before that, you would call it acute stress disorder, possibly adjustment disorder, something else. So post-traumatic stress disorder, bam, off the category for diagnosing it there. It has to have been at least four weeks, which I guess kind of accounts for this very, very, very general like sweeping statement that most people are all right after about four weeks after their trauma, which is super general. (laughs) I get too excited about it. But if we talk about, yeah, the big T, post-traumatic stress disorder, what is it? How do you get it? What's the diagnostic criteria? I am looking at the DSM-5, which is the Bible, according to mental health diagnosis that psychologists and psychiatrists and social workers and people like that would use. So you're looking for a bunch of different criteria. Let's just kind of go through them briefly because you don't, I mean, you don't necessarily need to know this stuff. It's just, you know, flagging what the difference is. So you're talking about exposure to an actual or threatened death serious injury, sexual violence in one or more of the following ways. So you can directly experience it. So let's say it's birth, it's directly happened to you. Two, you could witness it. So say you are a doula, a midwife, a partner, a student. Three, say that you are learning about it. So it is your daughter or your son talking to you about it and you're hearing about it in nitty, nitty, nitty detail. Um, experiencing repeated or extreme exposure. So this is kind of like for first responders. So people who are in the police force or maybe they're paramedics, they're seeing dead bodies, all kinds of traumatic things that happen there. So experiencing repeated exposure, um, I guess through work is typically where that would happen. But there is a note that it can't be through electronic media. So TV, movies, pictures, that kind of thing, unless it's work-related, which is super, super vague. And it's interesting because it shows an attempt by the American Psychiatric Association to try and cap the number of people getting this diagnosis. So years ago, when I was first training, the research lab that I was a part of, one of the big studies in that lab was looking at people who'd watched a lot, like a lot, a lot, a lot of September 11 footage. And I remember what the researchers in that group found were that people who watched hours and hours and hours and hours of footage of a traumatic event, so yeah, again, September 11, had similar reactions to people who were actually there. So it really goes to show this power of the mind, right? The mind doesn't know the difference between what's real or what's imagined. And even though we can't count this anymore, so you can't count watching hours of footage, I do wonder, and I wonder if you will wonder the same when I say it, the people that we know who do things like watch hours and hours and hours of certain TV programs that I won't mention by name that show the very dramatic, very traumatic unfolding of birth. And how many of us know people, friends, family, clients, who have watched these shows because they're interested in birth or because they somehow think this will prepare them for birth and they start to build up a view 
that birth is dangerous, it's traumatic, things go wrong all the time. And whilst that is true, I do wonder about some people who are particularly vulnerable and suggestible. If you surround yourself with negativity, you're going to think that birth is scary and horrible. Um, you know, a huge big thing that I used to teach and that colleagues of mine have taught in hypnobirthing is that you need to surround yourself with positive stories. So you don't go down this self-fulfilling prophecy that birth is dangerous and traumatic and awful and prepare as if you're going in for battle. So I do wonder about that, but we can't count that as, um, I guess, a way of diagnosing it anymore. You have to actually be there or witness it or hear about it. So you've then got a bunch of other symptoms that I'll just go through kind of quickly because, geez, there's a lot to cover. <laughs> so recurrent, involuntary and intrusive distressing memories. So it might be through dreams, it might be nightmares, it might be um, dissociative reactions, so things like flashbacks, moments where you are suddenly not where you were. So you, you, for some people, they don't even remember what year it is. They don't remember where they are. Sometimes in really extreme cases, they don't remember who they are because their brain and their body has gone back into what you might refer to as trauma time. So a memory, a smell, a sound, something has catapulted them back to that moment and their body and their brain is reacting as if they are back there. Um, and it's like, it's, it's intense. It is really, really intense. And often there's no amount of talking someone out of it at the time. You kind of just need to wait for their nervous system to crash. Or if you're trained in trauma techniques, there are certain things that you can do to help people get back to the here and now, but it's, it happens, I guess, um, in a different, there's a couple of different things that go on while this is happening. So persistent avoidance of things related to the traumatic event. So it might be that, I don't know, if you've ever had your own children or worked with babies and you think of that like sometimes what they call like phantom um, shower experience where you go up and have a shower and suddenly you hear a baby crying and how uncomfortable that feels. So in some ways, being traumatized from your birth is like feeling like that pretty much all the time. So hearing a baby cry doesn't just make you feel uncomfortable. It makes you feel extremely distressed. Seeing anything on TV to do with birth or, you know, driving past a hospital, anything like that. So you'll go out of your way to avoid reminders of it because it takes you back to that horrible event. Um, and you're noticing marked physiological reactions to internal and external cues. So this sort of gets into, I won't get into it too much, but something if you're interested in that you can look up is the difference between what's called interoception and exteroception. So exteroception is where you use all your five senses to tell your brain what it's reacting to and where you are. So sight, sound, smell, pictures, all those things. Like I'm in the here and now, I'm sitting in my office, I can see a plant, I can smell a candle, those sorts of things. Interoception is where you rely purely on internal cues. My heart rate's gone up and I feel sick. Therefore, there's something to be frightened of. Does that kind of make sense? I feel tension in my body. Therefore, there's something to be afraid of. Um, again, I won't get into it too much because I don't want to overwhelm people, but that's the sort of thing that happens with people who are stuck in trauma time is that they're not using their five senses to externally 
look and see what's happening in the moment. They're responding to a memory and they're responding to purely often internal cues. You also then have, I guess, what's called negative alterations in cognition, so thoughts and mood. So things like unable to remember particular aspects of the event. So you might have a bit of amnesia. Um, some people remember their trauma in a lot, a lot of detail and some people remember barely any. So that's that's a sign of PTSD, potentially. Kind of um, your worldview about trusting people changes. Like it might be really personalised. So like I'm a bad person, I'm a bad mum, it's my fault, I wasn't strong enough. But it also can be related to other people. You can't trust anyone, the world's dangerous, um, you know, people are out to get me, that kind of stuff. And I definitely want to flag that as some of that might be true. <laughs> like, let's be honest, let's look at our birth systems and the types of things that happen when we rush people through that birth suite. Some of that might be true. Um, but also like persistent, distorted, I suppose, thoughts about the consequences that are involved with blaming yourself or blaming others. Again, Some of this might actually be fitting and it might actually be true. But what you're doing is adding up lots of different experiences to kind of make one diagnostic outcome, if that makes sense. So it's like being, I often say to people, being in PTSD is like being in this perpetual state of fear, panic, horror, anger, guilt, shame that is specific to the event. So I might talk about the difference between something like trauma, PTSD and postnatal depression and anxiety and another stage. But at the moment, let's just focus on this. It's about the birth, all the immediate events after the birth. Um, and that can also mean things like not wanting to be involved in things as much anymore. So diminished interest in participation in significant activities. Again, postpartum period. How many new parents are like running off to do sport and book club and whatever else they used to do? So take all this with a grain of salt, but you get the general idea. And feeling detached from people, really estranged from people. So not wanting to be around people. Um, and I think this like persistent inability to feel positive feelings. So for me, as I suppose what you might call like a soft marker If I can't get anyone to laugh, I can't get them to crack a smile. Again, knowing full that people are exhausted, they're tired, they're hormonal, all of those things. If I can't do anything to crack a smile or get a laugh out of someone, that's when my amber, I don't want to say red just yet, but amber flags would be going up in those first four weeks. Definitely if it's been more than six weeks and there's nothing I can do to get them to crack a smile or find anything funny, that tells us potentially that there's something going on with mood. Maybe, maybe, okay? So you've also got a whole lot of bodily things that happen. People might be really irritable and angry. They just kind of fly off the handle. That can't, that might be verbal. It might be physical. Um It might be things like reckless and self-destructive behavior. That's different for everybody. But again, you're thinking about the person in front of you and what you know about them. Hypervigilance, so being on edge. You just cannot relax. It doesn't matter what you do. 
It's like your nervous system has the accelerator on all day and all night and there's just nothing you can do to turn it off. So you startle really easily. You can't concentrate. And we're talking about more than just the like, I forgot to feed the dog and I'm sticking my keys in the fridge kind of stuff. And again, same with sleep disturbance. It is super hard. Can you imagine? Like really super hard to measure this in this period of time. But these are the general things that we're looking for. And again, it's more, it's for more than a month. I kind of really personally, even though it's not written in the book, I would take that to six weeks because really a month, like (sighs) you're not even like a remote version of who you think you were after having a baby. So I don't know how you possibly really assess that within a month, but anyway. So the main thing is, is someone distressed? By what's happening? Is it interfering with their relationships, particularly if it's interfering with their bonding with their baby, their partner, their work, if they're going back to work, just all the sort of different areas of their life, it's impacting and it's causing it's causing them stress and causing them anxiety. So my definition of anything that's actually a problem is, is it a problem for that person? Is it a problem in terms of it's actually impacting their life and interfering with things? So... Um, you've got to rule out all the stuff about medication and alcohol use and possibly other medical symptoms. And then there's an extra bit um, in the diagnostic criteria where you specify if they've got dissociative symptoms or not. So at this point, or at least after you've listened to this episode, you might want to go and listen to the episode where I talk about dissociation and what's that and how do you assess it and all that kind of thing, because there's a bunch of different subtypes. So it's really, I guess, to sum up, persistent avoidance. You will go out of your way to avoid your baby, to avoid the hospital, to avoid care providers, to avoid people, to avoid reminders of birth and babies. It's really, really, really intense. And there's really intense thoughts and feelings specific again, to the birth or maybe if your birth was okay like I had two births that were okay but the immediate you know unrolling and unraveling of events that happened after so you've got fear and guilt and sadness and shame and all those sorts of things now these are all things that can happen with little t trauma so as in you don't actually meet the diagnostic criteria for PTSD but for PTSD these things go on for much longer than a month much longer than six weeks. They are unrelenting. You generally, in my experience, with proper post-traumatic stress disorder, picking up and reading a self-help book, ain't going to do it. Talking to your friends and family, ain't going to do it. This is a nervous system event, a memory event that's stuck and you need some specific nervous system rewiring, brain rewiring help in the form of someone who is an expert in trauma, preferably an expert in birth and the perinatal period, to help you out of it. With little t trauma, you might have a couple of the different symptoms that I've talked about, but they're generally not hanging around and things are generally finding some sort of new normal. Things don't go back to normal. (laughs) They really don't. But it's not as debilitating And I would say for someone who's got little T trauma, they're probably still finding some positivity, finding some areas that are enjoyable and they're still enjoying their baby. So don't forget, like 
having trauma doesn't mean that you can't still love and enjoy your baby. It's, you know, we're complex, we're dynamic, we can hold two opposing emotional states at the same time. But yeah, definitely with proper, not that little T trauma is not proper, but I guess full-blown post-traumatic stress disorder, you've got a lot more symptoms, they're lasting for a lot longer and nothing's shifting them. So no, as I said, no amount of doing some self-work, talking to a few different people, maybe even just general counselling, you need something really specific. So PTSD generally doesn't get resolved for people unless they get expert help. So it's not just generally going off and doing a birth debrief or getting some um, general counselling that might help, but it doesn't turn off that nervous system response and it's really impacting and interfering with their life. So very much a fly by the seat of your pants <laughs> definition of big T trauma, so PTSD versus little T trauma, as in what we more commonly refer to as maybe just birth trauma, or you might hear it referred to as post-traumatic stress. So without the disorder, super complex, right? Making sure that you are talking to people who have done the work, have done the degrees typically, I'm all for holistic support options, but generally with PTSD, you're going to need something that is helping you on that nervous system, neurological level, whatever that looks like. Um, yeah, that's probably about enough. You can always go and Google things if you're interested or you're not sure. Leave the PTSD to the experts. I think plenty of people, maybe doulas, midwives, counsellors, want to help about birth trauma and they want to make an impact for people fabulous please do that i honor you for doing that so much but unless you have got some serious experience and training behind you don't go dabbling with people with ptsd this is the really really serious stuff the links for suicide are really really high and it is complicated. As I said, how do you possibly tease out the nuances of, oh, you're not sleeping because you've just had a baby or you're not sleeping because of this or maybe you've got depression, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's a combo. There's a lot that goes into this. So I think it's just as you would do typically. You just respect it for what it is. Super, super complex. Okay, I hope that is helpful. As always, reach out, contact me, let me know your thoughts if you want to. You can find me at drerin.com.au and I'm on Instagram at drerinbow, bow with an E. I always say to students, rhymes with cow, but you know, it's got an E on the end. Um, yeah, I hope that's helpful for you and I hope you are having a fabulous day or a fabulous evening wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Thank you for your support and thank you so much for listening. Bye.